Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. Our guest today is Angie Byron. Angie is a Senior Director of Product and Community Development at Acquia, but she's arguably best known for being a contributor and core maintainer for the open source content management system Drupal, where she and I often work closely to affect change in Drupal, the software, and the community. So welcome to the show, Angie. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Happy to be here. Sure. So I know you've told this story like a thousand times, but can you briefly describe how you found Drupal? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm one of those people that's innately curious about everything. And so I go around whenever I visit a website, kind of view source and find out what's happening underneath the hood. And way back in the day, this was like in 2003 or something, there was a website called Spread Firefox. And Spread Firefox was uh, it, it was this really neat collaborative site that was set up to promote the Firefox web browser. And basically any user could upload, you know, little graphics that they had made or an event like a, you know, install fest they were having at their, you know, university campus or a poster that they did that you could print off and hang up somewhere. And I just thought, well, that's a really cool thing. Like all these different people, you know, promoting open source. And I viewed the source and it was like Drupal. Okay. Well, I never heard of that before, but that's interesting. Kind of filed it away. And then as I was finishing up school, um, my instructor told me about a program called Google Summer of Code, where Google basically pays you over the summer to be in, uh, to work on an open source project. And Drupal was in the list. And I was like, oh, my God, well, maybe I'll give this a shot then, you know, because I, to that point, had kind of major imposter syndrome about open source contribution. I figured you had to be a freaking genius to do it. And I was like, just this you know, lowly community college grad or whatever. <laughs> How could I possibly, you know, that kind of thing. And and when Google Summer Code came up, it was like, okay, well, I guess they know we're students and we don't know everything yet. So I figured I'd try and against all odds, I got accepted. And then once I got on this side of the, you know, you must be this smart to contribute wall I had built in my head, you know, and I was like, oh man, anybody can do this. They just need to be excited and like, you know, like, collaborative with other people and like I got into everything Drupal there was to do like the core committing and docs team and everything um so I, I basically these days spend my time um you know trying to solve the biggest hairiest problems with Drupal um Acquia is nice enough to pay me to do that uh and you know that can range anything from you know community empowerment stuff to direct engineering on the software to work with the Drupal Association on fundraising or Drupal.org or whatever it is. So um, yeah, it's been quite a ride. I think it's pretty safe to say that at this point, there's very little in the Drupal community you haven't touched or done. <laughs> That's fair. I, I have not done translations. Oh, I, really? I do not know other languages other than, you know, English very well. I know mm -hmm. petit peu français. But... <laughs> Just um, enough to read the Canadian on, or the, the French on the Canadian products in your store. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, lay, that's milk. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but yes. Um, but no, in every other respect, I like, I have tried to get involved um, as much as possible. I love the Drupal community. I love the people in it and I love learning new things all the time. So. What was it about Drupal and the Drupal community that really like sucked you in or made it so compelling? Yeah. So I think. From a technology standpoint, like I had tried open source content management systems back early in my, you know, web development career. So like PHP Nuke was a thing that people used for a while and like Matt CGI scripts back in the day for people who remember that. Um, 
And basically my outcome of that was like, these are all terrible and I, my cat could write better code than this. And so I'm just going to write my own CMSs because screw all this, you know? And then when I found Drupal, it was like, oh, wow, right. Multilingual stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, and filter XSS vulnerabilities. That's probably important. It was like all of these different things that it's like, yeah, okay. I can see the value of this thing. Because somebody who put a lot of time and effort into thinking about this did it. And the Drupal was built in such a way to be modular. So you weren't stuck with like this monolithic thing that literally you had to go to a forum to find out what line and what file you had to erase and replace with some other line to like modify it. It was all done in kind of a cool, powerful way. So that's what drew me to the technology. But the technology, as you know, Greg, got rewritten like 30 times in the past 10 years. Oh, so yeah. it's like, you know, so um, the, the people within the community, I think, were, were a huge draw. And I, my first, I had a lot of that within Google Summer of Code. I, you know, kind of did the thing where, well, shoot, they think I'm smart, so I can't ask for help because then they'll know I'm not smart, you know, and then like almost failed out because I was like, could not wrap my head around what the heck a hook possibly was, you know, and these kinds of things. And I found that the people involved in the community um, were really like approachable and had my back and they helped me get past that. Um, and then my first DrupalCon was uh, OS CMS in Vancouver in 2006 and is, is not, an, not, you know, it it's part of why I've actually moved here now because that was like, you know, I love Vancouver and that was a chance to kind of stay here for a week and kind of see how it went. But um, but at any rate, I, you know, I go, I went there super shy. I didn't know anybody in real life. I just interacted with them on IRC. So I kind of sat in a corner with my Google Summer of Code shirt and kind of hoped someone would notice me you know, and say something. And then uh, they totally did. They like found me like, oh my God, it's WebChip, blah, blah, blah. You know, and like, like and I it was, in, you know, it was, it was such a welcoming and, and awesome place because like, for example, Adrian Rousseau was a major contributor at the time. The guy is like a freaking mad scientist genius guy who invented the form API and multi-site and all these other capabilities in Drupal. Um, and he was explaining something to me very excitedly. And I'm like kind of deer in the headlights because I had no idea what he was talking about. And he was like, oh, oh, I can tell you don't know what I'm talking about. Let me try explaining it differently because it's super awesome and I want you to know what I'm talking about, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I just thought that was so cool. It wasn't like, oh, I get it. You're stupid. Okay, well, I'm going to go talk to someone more at my level, right? Um, and then there was a, 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 a sprint uh, a, at the time we were trying to get 4.7 out the door. And so Moshe held this, this you know, code sprint in this hotel room um, and anybody was invited in and he was just parceling out different issues for people to work on. And it was like, there was... I felt like there was no barrier. I could just jump in and get involved. And it was treated like one of the team. And I, I just loved that. So I left DrupalCon. That was like a really formative experience, like with all these new relationships with people and, you know, more insight into my own skills. Cause I went in there thinking I was a noob and then I left there like, Oh wow, I've contributed to core. Yeah. I guess I do know what I'm doing, you know, kind of thing like that. So yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. It's always interested me how, you know, the Drupal community back then wasn't perfect by any means, but, but, but it did seem to me, especially when compared to other technology communities to be so much more supportive than other, than other communities and to really attract a group of people who were passionate about the technology, but also kind of like 
it was almost like, you know, Jeff Robbins at the time wrote that article, How Drupal Can Change the World. And I think I think a lot of us felt that way, like we were doing something that was really going to have an impact on things. And I'm just like, I've always been, I've always wondered how it is that that group of people came together. Like, what do you, how do you, what do you think it is that made that group unique? Yeah, I think it, I think, I mean, some of it was dumb luck, right? It was just like, sure. Timing and luck is always a lot of that. I think, um, I think very early days in Drupal, um, Drupal very much was a tool by developers and for developers. Um, it has shifted since then to trying to be a tool by developers and for, you know, at least slightly technical end user. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> I definitely would say everyone, because you right. definitely need to like like tinkering a bit in order to like Drupal, but um, but but at any rate, um it, and really nailing that and you know, really encouraging innovation of the developer community. And one of the earlier uh, Drupal sites was Kernel Trap, which was a blog about Linux. Um, and Dries himself had come from a Linux contribution background and stuff. And so I think a lot of the early success was kind of attracting those technologists that liked working on the cutting edge of the web at the time and, you know, uh, a really rapid innovation cycle and, and getting all that stuff, you know, in there and turned around and people were building cool stuff and anybody could contribute. Like back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, but like everybody who had a CVS account could commit to anything in the CVS repository. Yeah. So all like, they had, all they had to do was ask Derek. Yeah, pretty much. So I had, I, I have, I still have commits in my profile to voting module, which I have never used. And I don't know how I managed to commit something there, but anyway, it was just like that. So it was very scrappy and, you know, there was not a lot of barrier to entry and people could just come in and they could do things and kind of feel powerful about it. And I think the second aspect of that, and, and in part because of that background of appealing to technologists, trying to do cool and amazing things, um, the Howard Dean campaign back in 2005 was really the first you know, major electoral campaign to try to harness the power of the web. And so they set up different Drupal sites, um, like, you know, Howard Dean in Massachusetts or Howard Dean in Minnesota or whatever. And they could all share logins with one another because of the Drupal module, which, you know, is a terrible security vulnerability or whatever. But it was cool at the time because um, all of these sites could work and collaborate in interchangeably. And that brought a whole bunch of attention from like the U.S. political scape. Um, into things. And then I think that caused media companies to start paying attention and sort of snowballed from there um, to the point where now you have like major world governments on Drupal, you have, you know, billion dollar companies on Drupal, and you also have, you know, cat blogs on Drupal, and you have nonprofits like the ACLU on Drupal and all everything in between. Um, and so I think it's, you know, sort of that initial appeal to to people who like tinkering with tech and then snowballing into a couple of you know, like, you know, really great use cases for the software that people could resonate with and then kind of going off from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about how like a lot of the passion in the community was driven by people who were passionate about their own causes, be it politics or be it the nonprofits they worked for or the higher ed institutions that they worked for. You know, those three groups constituted a lot of the early days of Drupal contributors and bringing that passion to the project itself because the project itself was enabling to them to follow the passions that they had already brought into it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like I remember when White House happened, you know, when, when White House during the Obama campaign, when whitehouse.gov 
went on to Drupal, I remember personally that being a really big deal for me because it was the first time that I felt that anything that I had worked on was was having an impact in politics or in people's day-to-day lives and things like that. And that was a really that was a really heady thing for me. Yeah. And and we the people as well, which yeah, um, yeah. Trump took down, but um, right. was this website where anybody could propose, uh, it, you know, a, a, a new policy change or that kind of thing and try and solicit votes on it. And if it got enough votes and I forget how many it was, like 150,000, I think. Yeah. 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 Then it would actually go to the floor of the house in order to have a discussion about it. And I thought that of anything that Drupal produced, I thought was just an amazing piece of technology. I felt the same way as you as like, wow, like, this little scrappy thing that started as my hobby project is now like actually changing the world in a material way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, so in the probably around 2011 or 2012, like both of us were really at our peaks in community involvement. And like, I know that me and you and several others in the community were just like constantly traveling to events was like one of the bigger things, especially as we were heading into the push for Drupal 8 and things like that. And um, and we were just constantly traveling. Um, what was what was that period like for you? Yeah, it was it was <laughs> I mean, OK, it was it was both like my uh, my partner at the time. It would have been great if my partner at the time had been like, yay, travel, but my partner was definitely <laughs> not yay, travel. And so yeah. that caused a lot of, um, you know, kind of strife in the home life because there was a lot of, you know, me having to go to this place or the other place and, you know, that thing. And it was a lot of travel. And in the meantime, you know, she would be home. And particularly when we had a young baby running around, like that would get particularly tricky. And I guess one thing I found about that period of time is, some some things you could understand you know like DrupalCon, it's like fine you have to travel there for work um you know but we were we were creating these sprints uh which were you know smaller get-togethers of people in person to kind of focus on one particular aspect of the software and sprints are great like they accomplish a lot in a very short period of time like you know i usually say like if it's going to take three months of back and forth comments in an issue queue you could do it in three days in person and you're like <laughs> much better off. Right. But, but I think Drupal at that time was trying to take on so much at once. You know, we had just released Drupal seven. It took three years to get out and it was already sort of behind the eight ball in terms of what people expected in terms of capabilities and look and feel and these other measures of software that we felt like we had a lot of, you know, kind of game, you know, game, we had to make up for the feature set, the architecture, the code base, all that stuff was all great. But the functionality that people expected out of the box, the sophistication of a CMS that they expected had had risen dramatically in the time that it took us to get Drupal 7 out. And so yeah, that period between seven and eight was really, really stressful. And we got together in person a lot. And I think I felt extra pressure because I was like the sole breadwinner for my family. And I had a young baby. And so I'm like, well, I have to do this because Drupal's got to make it, man, you know, like, and all this kind of stuff and, and felt like that. Meanwhile, you know, had I kind of taken a step back and been like, you know, where, where are my priorities? What's the most important thing here? You know, I don't know that I would have made those same decisions. I think I felt uniquely responsible for Drupal succeeding, even though that's 
not, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like not one person, no matter who they are, is never going to make or break a situation. It's, it's, it's a bunch of us coming together. And that's, in fact, the whole power of open source is that it is resilient, you know, and someone can take time away and it's fine, you know, but I guess I felt a lot of like pressure to, you know, all these people were counting on me and I had, you know, responsibility to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers, to my community. And, and that kind of went into a kind of a dark place for a while there. Yeah. It's interesting because I know at the same time I was, I was in a similar place. Like I was in a relationship that was falling apart, not in small part due to my, not due to my, um, my feeling internally need to constantly go to these events to constantly be contributing in my spare time and at work, you know, giving so much of myself. But at the same time, it was also like, it was, it, it, it was, it, it's weird because it's like, it's like at once it was, it was, it was hurting aspects of my life, but at the other, it was like such a heady and amazing time for me too. It was like, it was like this, this weird thing where it's like, you know, we're constantly traveling all over the world to see all of these people who are really great. And, you know, everyone's coming up to you because you're a leader in the community and stuff like that. And it's like, and it's like, I have, I have really mixed feelings about that time too, because it was really, it, because, because of both of those things were happening and it's hard. It, I feel like there's a lot of dissonance in balancing them. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think, you really, you know, the, the people who come to Drupal and who come to those kinds of events, they're committed and they're serious and they're awesome and they're brilliant people. And being in the same room with them and solving the same kinds of problems that they're solving and knowing that those problems that you're solving are, are you know, they're not just going to go in some bug tracker somewhere. They're going to be solved for millions of people. Do you know what I mean? Like the impact of your work is huge. I think that that becomes, um, I don't know what the word is, but it, you know, it, be, it, it becomes a draw. It becomes something that you, you, you really want to take part in because it's fulfilling in and of itself. Oh but yeah. It's, it's a real, it's a real focus on that. You know? It's a rush actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's easy to hyper-focus on that, especially when you, you kind of have this, you know, background of like, well, you know, I can see the forest for the trees. And I know that if we don't do these things, then we can't do those things. We have to do, you know what I mean? It's just like you, you see the whole thing laid before you and it, it totally makes logical sense, but it's easy to kind of fall into a trap of, you know, I'm needed here and I, you know, I'm responsible for this. I have to do it, you know, and then let other areas of your life atrophy at the same time. Um, when did you start really noticing that you were kind of, hitting the wall as it were like like what was what was what were the warning signs for you that that like that things were that that this wasn't sustainable anymore uh well it's funny the first warning sign that it wasn't sustainable was back when i worked at my old company um my old company lullabot they were awesome and they gave me 20 percent time to work on community stuff and um, but I found the, I was struggling because I, I couldn't keep it at 20 hours or 20% time. Right. I would, you know, essentially be balancing two 40 hour a week jobs, one at Lullabot cause I didn't want to let any of my customers down cause they were awesome too. And my, you know, that my team and everybody else, and then I have this other 40 hour a week job, you know, volunteering in the community and, you know, basically, you know, trying to do that. So my first attempt to make things sustainable was moving to Acquia where I was paid full-time to do that community management stuff, 
rather than also balancing that with client work. So that was attempt number one. <laughs> so that was in <laughs> 2011. And uh, I feel like that did work to an extent in that it became, um, you know, there wasn't the constant context switching between client work versus community work, but then it also had kind of a, the effect of, well, now that this is my whole job, I got to do everything about, you know what I mean? That kind right. of thing. And so it, it had, uh, it was well-intended, but then it ended up, you know, um, kind of shifting it so that I took on even more responsibility than I was able to when I was doing this, you know, kind of in my nights and weekends and spare work time. Um, where now that this was my job, it like became even more critical for me to excel at everything. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think the second warning sign I had was towards the end of 2014 and into 2015. Um, we had a, 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 it was like two bad things happening at once. Number one, we knew Drupal 8 needed to get done. It had been five years in, you know, in, in development by then. Um, and we knew we had to get it out the door. And we knew if we didn't get it out the door, that that could really hurt Drupal's future adoption and a million other things. So there was a threat that I, well, I considered a threat, you know, from that side of things. We have to get the software done, which meant even more traveling, even more in-person events to solve these hard problems, get it knocked out. At the same time, you know, my wife is sitting here saying, you're traveling too much. I'm here with the baby. You got to knock that shit off, you know? And I'm like, fair enough, you know? And so then it became, I, I knew things were going to go down a bad path when I, you know, became basically, you know, trying to juggle all of these, like, I need to go to 27 things. Okay. I can't do that. I have to go to four things. How am I going to figure that out? You know, kind of stuff like that. And making a bunch of compromises in this area and that area, and basically ultimately pleasing nobody. And then everything kind of came to a head at the end of 2015. So, yeah, it's 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 hard in a community where I think about you brought a lot of skills to our community that I think we're very much lacking at the time. Like we had a lot of coders, right? Mm -hmm. But we didn't have a lot of people who were skilled at organizing, at project managing, at gathering requirements. You know, I think of something like. Um, when we migrated from CVS and we were trying to figure out a new version control system, yeah. right? And you took on this project, you spent all of this time gathering the opinions, surveying people, taking arguments, working people through it in a way that I don't think anybody else could have. And, <laughs> and, and, but, but, you know, over time, I think, you know, we, we had this joke, uh, it, it wasn't really a joke in retrospect, but we, you know, people would say, um, Webchick got that done, but Webchick doesn't scale, right? And mm -hmm. so, and and I, and I feel like you know, or maybe you can tell me if you felt like one of the reasons that you felt so compelled to do those things was because you saw yourself solving problems in a way that nobody else really could. I I probably would not say that uh, because I don't have that good of a self esteem. So what I would say more <laughs> is I was solving problems I didn't see anyone else solving that I felt mm -hmm. were critical mm -hmm. to solve. Right. Um, so it was more of a duocracy mindset. You know, it was more like, well, no one else is doing it. Somebody's got to figure this out. Well, fuck it. Let's do it. You know, okay. So, mm -hmm. am I allowed to swear on your podcast? I'm sorry. Absolutely. That's Great. what the ex okay. that's what the explicit <laughs> checkbox on iTunes is for. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I was trying to <laughs> keep it very G rated up until that point. That's um, fine. But yeah, I would say it was much more. And I think a lot of people do this, like that when they come into a project like this, they believe in the mission and they believe in the people around it. And 
they see how it could be better and they see that no one else is taking this on. So I'm going to become this person that does this thing, you know, and then it's very easy once you not once you've taken on a role for other people to go like, oh, great, that role's filled. We don't need to worry about that anymore because so-and-so's got that role. Um, but in the meantime, you were like, well, hold on. I didn't mean to take this role for the rest of my life. Like I was just trying to like solve a problem that we had, you know, this kind of thing. Um, we see this with a lot of different areas, you know, like with the infrastructure, when the DA took over the infrastructure, the volunteers backed way off. Um, when, uh, you know, when, when, you know, I, I stepped in to start doing conflict mediation with, you know, a situation with a couple of my friends. Now all of a sudden I was Drupal's conflict mediation person, you know what I mean? Like this kind of thing. Um, so one thing I do feel has been productive in the past couple of years, like since the kind of big burnout end of the marriage, living on my own, blah, blah. It was just like a bad time of my life. Um, is that they found out WebChick doesn't scale. Um, and neither do lots of people, right? There's a lot of yeah. people in the community and they don't scale either. And so we have made a lot of changes since then in the governance of Drupal. So for example, um, like when Drupal 7 was a thing, there was one core committer other than Dries and it was me. You know what I mean? One. Nowadays, we have like 15 core committers and there are framework managers and product managers and release managers. They all kind of focus on different things. Um, and that's great. That's great because then any given product manager can step away and they know that the other product managers will be in there to help. Um, I think also bringing on the idea of provisional maintainers was really key. So there's a lot of people that's like, ah, I don't know. They could be awesome, but we're not sure. And basically the only thing to do was just to like, you know, monitor them for a long time, which, you know, requires bandwidth and overhead, you know, to think, to do that. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't, aren't proactive about building their replacement in, you know, that kind of thing. And so provisional maintainership provides the ability to be foresightful about building out who's going to replace you either when you hopefully don't burn out and, you know, flame out, but when you have to get up and walk away, or if you, uh, you know, if something happens with your family and you want to focus on that for a while, or you get a new job that really fulfills you or whatever it is, you know, making sure that that's there and expanding things like instead of WebChip being a conflict mediator to now we have a community working group that is a group of people that helps remediate conflicts and things like that. So I think a lot of really positive work has gone into making the community governance more robust and scalable. Um, I just think that unfortunately we didn't start that sooner. Because this, you know, like you described it as like hitting a wall in terms of contribution. And that really was what it felt like. It was like, I can see that this is going to end in terror and horror and badness, but I can't stop because reasons, you know, and then right. bam, eventually you hit that wall and then you, you're forced to deal with it at that point. Yeah, I, I agree that the creation of teams to replace what were previously only individuals was really was really key and and you know one of the reasons that became key is because Drupal grew so far and so fast right mm -hmm. and I think I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of us hit the wall is because that that growth happened so fast like none of us were really prepared for it but on the other hand if we had been kind of thinking about it earlier then maybe we could have been a little more ready for it too yeah. It's interesting because like, you know, if you look at a project like Ubuntu Linux was was a was a much bigger open source project at the time. And they had done a lot of thinking about their governance and we kind of copied and pasted a few things from them back in the day. Um, you know, if we had looked at that in 2005, we'd have been like, that is like way too much process and structure. And oh, my God, like, blah, you know, like that kind of thing. 
Um, and then I had to find out the hard way. It's like, oh yeah, you need process and structure, <laughs> like things like this, <laughs> so that you don't hit a wall. So like, um, so it's interesting because everything I described earlier in this talk about what made Drupal initially successful, you know, when you add more layers of bureaucracy and groups of people responsible for decisions instead of individuals that you could just, you know, take aside, like it does slow things down and it does make it harder, you know, to know all the key people in the community because there's so many of them. Now. On the other hand, it takes a lot of pressure off any individual contributor to kind of have to be that person that's going to give their whole lives to this project. So I think on the, on balance, it's much better the way it is. And it also, it codifies it in a way. I, I Randy Fay and I used to get, uh, you know, get into little spats about this where, you know, I, I was big on like, I love Drupal because everybody's just a blue nickname and like, you know, we all treat each other the same. He's like, yeah, but you don't <laughs> because right, like, right. you know, that CHX is like, you know, this big name programmer, but someone new to the community has no idea, you know, and we'll talk to them in a, in a certain way and then get, you know, like lambasted off the planet because they are rude to a core committer but, or a core developer, but how are they supposed to know, you know, kind of thing like that. And, it took me a while to kind of come around to that idea of like the, the tyranny of structurelessness and, and things like that, that there actually is value in defining those roles and defining, you know, what the procedures are for getting into and out of those roles and things like that. So I think I've learned to appreciate like good governance a lot more now than I had kind of in the, in the earlier days. I think another thing that I've thought about a lot is, is also that, for a community that, you know, purported to look out for each other and care about each other a lot, we were very, very bad at recognizing when we were pushing people too hard, you know, like, mm-hmm. like there were, I think, I feel like there, sh- there were a lot of times when we, we had much more of a tendency if somebody volunteered to do something to just say yes and walk away rather than mm-hmm. thinking or what we knew about them or their ability to take more on or seeing the stress that they had in their lives. Like, like I just felt like we could have done a lot better on awareness, you know? Maybe I think, well, I won't say maybe you're right. Um, I think factors that play into that are number one, all of us are kind of in that boat, right? Right. Like, and it, it, it kind of takes a certain amount of like self care and I'm good to like, be able to have the forewithal to like glance around and see how everybody else is doing. Like take mm-hmm. this pandemic, for example, you know, I see like some things like all oh, your friends who are checking in on you, they're your real friends. And I'm like, that's not fair. Like you have no idea what people are dealing with right now. You know what I mean? Um, if they're dealing with, you know, losing their job or they're dealing with, you know, their kid being home all the time and, you know, you know, whatever, it's just like all kinds of things that people are dealing with. It's not fair to put that on people who are already struggling, that they're not taking into account the struggling of others. That said, I think there needs to be structure to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, because we should just acknowledge that people who are under a tremendous amount of stress are not going to be in a good position to be you know, they're, they're not even self-aware, let alone aware of other people. I think the other thing that plays into that too, is that, uh, I don't know if this is unique to Drupal or if it's open source or if it's communities in general, but like, uh, Drupal really attracted kind of like the helper persona, the savior complex kind of people, or at least me, I would qualify into that, you know? Um, and people who are used to helping others are really super bad about asking for help for themselves. And in fact, will often mask what's going on to the best of their ability so that they don't cause concern for the people that they feel like are relying on them to be awesome. Does that make sense? 
Oh, no, it makes total sense. I actually think that's very, very common in mission-centric communities. Actually, our mutual friend Jeff Eaton did a talk once called You Matter More Than the Cause, which is basically about that, um, about, you know, the fact that especially in in passion or mission-driven communities, people will push themselves to do that. And, you know, I don't necessarily think this was the case in Drupal, but oftentimes those communities are centered around the fact that people will do that, you know, that, that they rely on the fact that people will do that in order to exist. Yeah. I I don't think that's the case in Drupal. I think the case in Drupal was, you know, a lot of well-intentioned people with very poor boundary control (laughs) or, you know, but, but I, I understand what you're saying that there, there is definitely that, that human tendency could definitely be harnessed and used for bad. Yeah, um, and to exploit people, and that that is extra ungood. Um, it's also ungood, though, even when it's just gross negligence, right? <laughs> like it's sure, not okay sure. that people get hurt. Um, but I do think that you know the 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 overall arching you know plan or lack thereof does play into that. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, we spent some time talking about how organizations can or have, or in the case of the Drupal community did, you know, see some of these issues and start to address them from a governance standpoint. Um, But like, what also do you think that people who have those blinders on can do to recognize this within themselves or see when they are getting themselves into these situations? Because, you know, it comes from both sides and both of us found ourselves there and probably much later than we should have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really good question. I've been noodling on that one. Um, I, you know, I guess the, the, this is going to sound so cliche. The number one thing is, self-care if you're not taking care of yourself um it's easy to feel like you're trapped and you can't get out and nothing's ever going to get better and you just have to kind of live with it until whenever you know like it's it's not logical at all you're not able to like think with your executive functioning self if your amygdala is pinging out and you know trying to like you know save you from what it perceives to be a threat so get yourself to the point where you can, if you're if you're in the red zone, at least get in the yellow zone, <laughs> so you can have a rational look at what's happening around you. Um, I think that's the first thing. I think another thing is um, we can normalize situations pretty well. Like you know what I mean. Like we can just kind of well, this is just it is what it is. You know, like uh, you know that I just get up and then I go into this flaming you know thing every day and come out with burns and scars and that's just how it works. You know, kind of thing. Try to get some objective measurements, um, either yourself or via a friend or whatever, like to, to look at this. So for example, I have a <laughs> I have a notebook that's like, here's how many days it's been since I cried at work, you know, or whatever, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it's just like, but seriously, it's like oh something my God, like that's that. so sad. Well, you no, know what I mean? It's just I like, understand. Well, whatever no, it is. I know, I know. Yeah. yeah. Because it can alert you. It's like, I had to reset that quite a few times. I should probably do something about that as opposed to, you know, figuring that out much, much later when it's almost like too late because by then you're burnt out and there's no coming back and, you know, these kinds of things. So, um, so, you know, a a friend can help you with that too. Like I had a a few people approach me prior to flaming out and be like, yay, are you doing okay? <laughs> and, you know, again, just kind of falling in that trap of like, yeah, yeah I'm fine, you know, yeah. you know, and it's like, you're not fine. You know? <laughs> so just be honest <laughs> with yourself, I think is the other thing. And like, 
Um, and I think that the last thing is just like, be honest with yourself and like ask for help because you'd be shocked when everything did come down around me. And I was like, just destroyed as a human being. Um, what I was struck by is how much these people that I worked with, that I considered my, you know, my, my coworkers or, you know, my work friends, that kind of thing were not my coworkers or friends. They were my friend friends and they had been friends with me for like a decade or more. And they just came out of the woodwork to support me. Like, you know, Shannon Vitesse mailed me like a little care package. I had like an eye mask and some lavender relaxation soap or whatever, you know, kind of thing. Like uh, Catherine Senzi invited me to her house and cooked me pancakes and like, you know, this kind of thing. And it was just like, it was amazing to see the outpouring of people. So I think, you know, the, the thing is, I, I probably could have asked for help much earlier and gotten a much more realistic picture and maybe had some strategizing about how to you know, handle things before they went off the rails. But I, I was just in the thick of it and couldn't, I think I was too scared to be honest with myself how, about how bad it was getting before it was too late to do anything, if that makes sense. No, I mean, it makes, it makes total sense. I, uh, I mean, I basically had to like, like after I, after I moved out of Sweden and moved to Portland and I just kind of like locked myself away from everybody for a year and sorted it out. You know, I mean, um, it was, it was, it was, it was a, I, I mean, I don't know about you. I can say for myself that I came out of it a much better person and much with much more in touch with myself and what's important to me, but that that journey was not easy. Yep. And it's, it's fun. I, I feel exactly the same way. Like I am a much better mom. I'm a much better partner. I'm a much better worker. Even, you know, like I, I now intentionally look for ways to empower others to do what I do. Um, and before I, you know, I, it's not like I would have stopped anybody, but I, you know, I wouldn't have been intentional about creating that path and making sure I'm mentoring others to, so they can replace me, you know, mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things. I've always been a person that learned things the hard way. So I don't know if I uh, actually could have learned this any other way, but it was not a fun way to learn it at all. Um, and so I feel like, um, yeah, if there are ways for people who are in the, this current situation to kind of say this about themselves, I think the biggest thing for me too, is just like, you know, it took kind of this crisis in my personal life to like really force looking at the entire issue and how it all played out and things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, in retrospectively incredibly grateful for that. Um, because I, I was not in a good place back then. I was in like a place that I, I told myself was good. You know what I mean? For, for a lot of different reasons, but it's clear now with some time and distance that it's like, wow, that was not a good situation at all either personally or professionally or whatever. Um, and it's given me a much better picture on what I should be doing. And it's given me much better tools um, to know when things are not going well to try to intervene early. So, No, I'm, I'm in exactly the same place. Like, you know, well, it's kind of like I said earlier, you know, we had that very heady time when we were running around and doing what we thought was really important work. But, you know, what I came to realize in the time since is that what I was really doing was running away from a lot of aspects of my life mm -hmm. that I didn't really want to deal with. Right. And so, you know, it was, it was an amazing time for the wrong reasons and, and now is an amazing time for different reasons. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's really, 
I think I think a lot of, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this is because I think a lot of people get involved in these communities and face these situations and don't know how to get out of them or feel like the communities that they're a part of are going to fall apart without them or anything like that. And it's just it's not true. Right. 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 Well, not only is it not true, but I think you said this. You said, you know, if the entire project, whatever it is that you're involved in, falls apart because you took some time to care for yourself then hey it deserves to fall apart cuz yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? it's just like no like no no cause nothing that you could work on in your life is worth that you know right I mean? it's worth burning through other human beings yeah exactly i'm curious like what what are things that have worked for you you talked a lot about stuff that works for me i'm curious do you have any insights um well let me think about that for a second i think that one of the things that um works for me like in um so in AA there's this there's this uh slogan and it's how important is it and it's meant as kind of a way for you when you're freaking out about something because you know people with people with addiction tend to freak out about things and fall back on their on their substance of choice right and so one of the things that or and you know this works well with people who have anxiety attacks and stuff like that too and so like one of the things that i think has been big deal for me is to constantly be asking myself is this thing really as important as i think of it is like mm-hmm. if this feature doesn't make it into the next dot release of drupal is the world going to end right like like you know and that ties into this whole thing of us doing passion projects too where it's like we always feel like our you know, we, we always feel like we're responsible for the success of the thing that we care about. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think, I think this idea of coming to the point where I understood, as you put it, that, that, you know, if you're burning through people, then your project is, your project is not doing its job in the first place. And so um, me like internalizing a lot of that, I think was a really big part of, of that journey for myself, but also just like, taking some time off really gave me a ton of perspective. Like I had a period there where I took just like, well, it turned into basically forever, but I took like, you know, a year or two off and just set and just like, just pulled myself completely out. And then when I got to the point where I was thinking about, do I want to get involved again? Do I want to get involved again? I mean, in part, it was nice because all the stuff I was involved in had been taken over by very capable people in the meantime, which was awesome. But yep. also, but also just like, you know what? I just got other stuff going on in my life right now, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's fine. That's a great place to land, you know, yeah. to realize that, that, you know, I, I love that. How important is it? Cause yeah, it, it can, especially when you're in kind of crisis mode, everything feels critical, right? Yeah, it's totally. Like it's all down to me, this kind right. of crap. And it's like, it's not like you stepped away. And to your point, there's really great people in charge of the stuff you used to be in charge of. And, you know, like, I'm sure if you were involved, it would be even better, but it's fine. You know what I mean? You've <laughs> set it up so that you could be successful. And that's, that's exactly what you got to do. And then that allows you to take time away and do what you need to do. And I think that's great. Like, how would you say that your relationship with the project is now? Like, do you feel like you've landed in a better place? Is this still something that you struggle with? Or like, how are, how are you doing these days? I'm doing a lot better. And I think uh, it's due to a number of factors. Number one, like, I think before with the relationship structure I had, you know, 
my wife was taking care of my child. So I would see my child, but it was more like a, you know, almost like in a babysitter capacity, which is not mm. good. And now I am a mom, like, you know, I am a single mom and I uh, have, you know, see my daughter 50% of the time. And when I have her, I am like on, you know what I mean? Like that mm -hmm. is the most important thing in my whole life. And so my entire life has kind of shifted around where now uh, my, my child and my girlfriend, they're the priorities. Um, and then work comes second to that work is still really important. Like I, I really do believe in what we're working on. I love my coworkers. I love the project. Um, but it, it is no longer the thing that's kind of all consuming. It is now the thing that, you know, it can, it's there, it's important. I'm going to do my best, but at the end of the day, I'm going to get off the computer because I got to go spend time with the people that matter to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was not a boundary that I had set for myself back in the day. I think the second thing is, is regarding the work. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I, I try to be much more intentional about, uh, I can see the warning signs a lot better now about being the single point of failure or single, whatever, you know, the single, the bus factor, however you want to say it. Um, and trying really hard to not be that person wherever possible. Unfortunately, my current project, I have not been so successful at that, but, um, but, um, the, the, you know, it's a, you know, we're, there's a plan though, to get it, you know, to the point where it, it there's a team replacing what I'm doing and, you know, uh, all these kinds of things. So, um, so it helps that to have gone through that experience in Drupal because now, whether in my personal life or my professional life or my volunteer life, many other lives that I have, um, I'm able to kind of spot the warning signs of, oh, wow, this is going to start to become my sole responsibility. Let's break that up and let's start parceling that out to other folks and let's um, build a team where there isn't a team, these kinds of things. So. I think that sounds really great. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all of this with us today. Um, yeah. How can people find you and what you're working on on the internets and whatnot? Yeah, sure. So I'm a, I'm Webchick on Twitter and Facebook and most things. Um, I am currently, I, I work at Acquia and the Drupal Acceleration team. And so that uh, team basically just exists to make Drupal awesome. And so my job changes about once a quarter, uh, thereabouts, where it's like, sometimes I'll be working on, you know, problem X, problem Y, whatever it is, it, it shifts around just to, you know, whatever makes Drupal awesome. So currently... What I'm doing is I'm working on a product called Aquia Migrate Accelerate, which is a um, it's intended to be like a much easier wrapper around the Drupal migration API by still using the power of the Drupal migration API, but making it so that you can move from seven to nine, you know, to a large extent just by clicking around in a UI and not learning all complicated PHP object oriented Drupal nine you know, capabilities. And then instead you can, you know, get somebody in there to do the really hard parts of the migration, but do a lot of the easier parts yourself. And the reason that's on my plate is because, you know, we've done a lot of, a lot of this stuff I'm talking about, about sustainability. Um, you know, we've moved away from these big bang releases that, you know, take three to five years to put out. Now releases are on a predictable schedule. Every six months you get something cool, you know, in advance when the major version is coming out, that kind of stuff. Um, we're trying to get everybody from the old model to the new model. And so that's why I'm working on that. So it's kind of nice because, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I brought Drupal 7 into this world and I'm going to help, <laughs> help people get off of Drupal 7 and onto the nice, you know, like easy upgrade path, you know, version of Drupal and, and happily ever after. Hopefully we'll see how it goes. The circle of life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate uh, having you on today and you sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciated the conversation. And uh, it's nice to talk to someone else who's been through a similar situation. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.